welcome to the Real Life Diabetes Podcast. My name is Amber Kluwer, and I enjoy sharing my story and those of other people living their best life with this disease. Before we dive into this episode, I have a few quick announcements. Number one, the Diabetes Daily Grind is a nonprofit charitable organization. Funds raised help keep the podcast, website, and advocacy efforts afloat. It's easy. Just click the donate link on my website or purchase a copy of Doing Diabetes Differently. Number two, and this is a big one for me. I've lived with type 1 diabetes for decades and never considered an insulin pump until meeting a few behind the scenes passionate Insulet leaders. And in case you didn't know, Insulet is the maker of the Omnipod tubeless insulin delivery systems. I tiptoed into using a CGM ages ago and my diabetes management has never been better. So when I discovered Omnipod 5, I was sold. <laughs> I'm in the process of insurance approval and can't wait to share that I finally moved from MDI therapy to being a potter. This is a totally new experience for me and as you know, I'm not shy and will share my thoughts with the world. Why did I choose Omnipod over the other options you asked? It was simple. It's tubeless and waterproof. It integrates the Dexcom G6 to automatically adjust insulin based on the CGM value to help keep you in range. And the automatic insulin adjustments happen every five minutes, even when you're sleeping. Thank you for that. I can't wait to try Omnipod 5. And who knows, I might change my tagline from cheers to the highs and lows to there's nothing like being in range. Stay tuned. If you'd like to try Omnipod 5 yourself, you may be eligible for a trial. For eligibility, free trial terms and conditions, and full safety information, visit omnipod.com backslash DDG. All right, enough rambling. Let's get started. Today's guest, Harold Hamm, is the 13th child of Oklahoma sharecroppers who possessed what all great American entrepreneurs have, a sense of destiny and a desire to change the world for the better. At the age of 21, Harold started Continental Resources and has grown the company into the largest privately held oil and natural gas producer in the country. But that's not the only reason why he's here. His business success has allowed him to give generously. He is committed to solving many of humanity's greatest challenges, including diabetes, energy poverty, literacy, and education. He's been a strong advocate, and maybe you didn't know that, for affordable insulin, having made numerous trips to Washington, D.C., to discuss the cost of insulin with members of Congress and the White House, even though he is not insulin dependent. Harold believes through innovation and research, we can eradicate diabetes in our lifetime, and he's putting his money where his mouth is. Welcome to the show, and thank you for joining me. Thank you, Amber. It's uh, awfully good to be with you. <laughs> and if you're not from Oklahoma, or if you're not involved in the oil and gas community, you might not know this man, but I got to say, you have no idea what he's doing for the diabetes community. So I want to just dive in because we've got so much to cover in the time that we have with your personal journey with diabetes. So when did you suspect that you might need to be checked for diabetes? Well, I was probably 50 years old. I'd say under doctor's care, I'd go get checkups and every six months or a year or whatever. But I noticed my triglycerides kept going up. So I started watching those, and finally, finally, my doctor said, "Look, uh, you know, we've been checking your glucose levels, and that they've been increasing, and you probably need to go talk to a specialist uh, on diabetes." And so I said, 
okay, who would that be? <laughs> right. <laughs> it gave me a name or two and uh, people, and I called them. And, of course, I'm concerned about it, you know, and mm -hmm. I want to jump on it and do something about it. So I uh, talked to them and uh, quickly found out that, number one, they were overworked, overloaded, and yeah. unavailable. And they'd probably see me in three to six months. Oh. Uh, something like that. And there wasn't anybody, about one doctor in our community of Enid that was uh, actually available. And so I got to check it, and that's kind of the, the way it was at that time. And it was, first of all, a very unpopular disease. Nobody yeah. wanted to deal with it. Doctors didn't have a procedure tied to it, so they wouldn't, didn't make a lot of money. Mm -hmm. Basically, a lot of it was informational exchange and everything with new patients. It took a lot of time, maybe eight hours mm -hmm. with the new patient to bring them, bring them up speed. And much of that, they didn't get paid for. Right. Other than office call. And so there wasn't a, the system, in my opinion, was broken. Yeah. And they, so, something need to be done about it. Uh, so anyway. Well, we'll get into that. that. There's like a lot that we're going to talk about with what you've done with that diagnosis. And let me start yeah. with asking, do you have a family history of diabetes? I do. I know that my brothers and sisters and maybe parents, uh, my mom particularly, probably had issues mm -hmm. uh, with diabetes, but nothing, you know, it didn't stand out to being a family of, of type one or whatever. But, right, which is a totally different ballgame for sure. Yeah, right. <laughs> it is. It's a totally different ballgame now. <laughs> so, Well, once receiving your diagnosis, did you give it pause for concern or did you handle it with determination with which you handle most of your life challenges? Well, what I did was basically I got to looking around for who was interested in diabetes and, you know, what was going on. And the first thing I, I discovered was that OU had a new program that they'd kind of gotten into. And so I uh, asked for an appointment with OU's president at that time, uh, David Bourne, and I sat down with him and started sharing some ideas about mm -hmm. diabetes. And my idea really was aligned with his real well that, you know, this was a, basically almost pandemic mm -hmm. uh, here, here, in, here in the U.S., and particularly in Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. And as to all the people that was involved, a lot of it had to do with the Native American population. Mm -hmm. And so anyway... We exchanged ideas on it, and I decided to, to get involved, and that led into the Harold Ham Diabetes Center. Well, we're going to jump into that hardcore here in a second, but let me say to the listeners, I'm going to say boomer sooner. So OU means the University of Oklahoma, which is where I graduated from. So, and David Boren, President Boren, past President Boren, did incredible things for the university and for things here in the state. So I'm, it's wonderful to have two powerhouses here in Oklahoma come together to help work on something. I just am curious, when you made that call to him, how did that go? Did you say, I've got type 2 diabetes, what do we do from here? Or how do you have that conversation with a friend? Yeah, well, it, uh, actually, I just had Bert Mackey set up a call, set up a visit with him. 
and Purvis, a friend of mine, a friend of David's. And uh, so anyway, I came down to Health Science Center, met David there at his office, and met some other people associated with the Diabetes Center mm -hmm. that they just set up. Dr. Lyons was there and several other, uh, those people were at the beginning and uh, uh, had a provost there. Mm -hmm. And uh, so and anyway, we talked uh, specifics real quick on what their thoughts were, what could be done, what should be done, and what was needed, necessary yeah. to really get this thing off the ground. I have to tell you that I, my introduction to the Harold Ham Diabetes Center at the time, which was 10 plus years ago, I was a patient of Dr. James Lane before he passed away. And mm -hmm. Dr. Lane changed my tune on diabetes. And I had the privilege of interviewing him once on one of your galas. And I'm sorry that he's no longer with us, but he really was a top endocrinologist and talked about diabetes in layman's terms, which is what I've really enjoyed about your center over the years as a personal patient, which has been quite some time. I want to reference one thing that you said in your book, and I don't know if this is a common term. I'd never heard it, but F-U-D, fear, uncertainty, and doubt. And I can't help but thinking about that when it comes to diabetes as a diagnosis, maybe more so for the person with type 2, but when did you decide you wanted to be a part of this research? And I think about it as you're fearful of getting it. You got it. Then you're like, oh my gosh, I have no idea what's going on. And then you're like, oh my gosh, there's so many things going on here. So when you decided you wanted to be a part of the research for a cure so you could help others with diabetes, how did you go about that? Well, it, it started out kind of very simple, you know, with the initial gift and enough to really make an impact. Mm. And then we set up an advisory team there at the, at the Diabetes Center and basically picked top-notch people that knew all that you could learn about diabetes at the time. Right. And people that really want to be involved. You know, we, we brought in the, the tribal leaders and uh, Chief Anatubby has oh, been, yeah. Governor Anatubby has been helpful. And Others that, you know, they, they had their biggest problem at that time. I don't think they'll mind telling you this, that it was, it was far extreme from everybody else, in my opinion. Instead of bringing people's awareness up and all that, which, you know, normally you'd want to do first. Right. But their, their biggest problems was amputations. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, which are preventable you know, as, as all possible. Right. Yeah. That And I mean, that was what you're dealing with quickly right mm -hmm. there. So obviously, uh, they need help big time. And so anyway, brought them, brought us all together, and we started tackling the problems one after the other. And anyway, just figuring out better ways and, and whatever. Awareness was... You know, the really the first assault we mm -hmm. we made out to the general public or outreach, uh, letting everybody know that you know you had to be doing all the checks. You had to yeah. make sure if that uh, your glucose levels were intolerance and yeah, and and all the right things to do. And so that was the first thing, and that's the most important thing. Before 
other parts of your body is damaged, uh, yeah. other organs are damaged, you need to know those things, and you have to know it. And so that was that was the first really thrust of the uh, diabetes center, and that didn't take too long to get underway. We took a lot of action quickly, and you know to start making that happen, and was reaching out into schools, you know, all the public venues, state fair, you name it. <laughs> We were present, so well, and you anyway, pulled in, you pulled in the right people too. So you know, Oklahoma is known. We have a lot of we have a lot of native energy, and you you really did. And I've had the privilege of, of touring in the Chickasaw Nation and what they do for diabetes care. And I love having that type of partnership. So you really did bring in like minded people, which we'll discuss here in a second. But I want to get back to your personal life with diabetes. So you just got diagnosed, flipped the switch, you took action. But what did you do in your own lifestyle to work on that diagnosis, diet, exercise, and all the things involved? <laughs> well, first of all, uh, you know, I started immediately getting 10,000 steps a day. I, I had a workout program, but, you know, it's kind of hit and miss, and it wasn't the You're first busy. thing on my calendar every day. Right. It certainly is and has been for a very long time. You know, you get 10,000 steps every day, you know. You'd write. And, you know, that's about 50 pounds ago. Uh, so <laughs> 45, something like that. And uh, so, you know, get in, in condition. So, and that won't eliminate this, the disease, but it'll certainly make it controllable and all that. So, well, those, help prevent complications. I mean, help prevent complications. Yeah. That's the biggest the, part when we yeah, talk about the implications. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And complications are a, a huge thing. I mean, you know, you take eyesight and <laughs> everything else that can be affected. So, yeah, all those complications uh, that, you know, you have to avoid. So that's what I did. Well, and thank you for that. And here's the word on the street. You walk five miles a day. Is that oh, correct? <laughs> every day. Uh, treadmill. Uh, yeah. I like to go outside, you know, so I walk with my dog and. Yeah. Uh, in a park. And all I that. appreciate the walking too. That's where I clear my mind. It's too hot to walk now, but it's, I'm in the pool, but daily. Oh, no. It's, it's, oh, no. No. You're getting up for a long time a day. <laughs> <laughs> You're definitely up earlier than I am. Um, yeah. Okay. So, something you mentioned in your book, and this is, I'm a, I don't know if it's an Oklahoma thing, but you mentioned not splurging after your diagnosis on fried onion burgers and fries. What is your guilty food pleasure now? Well, you know, no judgment. Uh, okay, <laughs> you have to watch what you eat, but occasionally, you know, you can have some of that. Just not, don't go overboard. And and you know, I wear a monitor. I don't know how many people do, but I do, and I check it and I watch it, and I trust a one hundred percent in target. Mm. And and so I've been doing that lately. I, I wasn't very good at it there for a little while, but. <laughs> Learning I've curve. been staying in, in Target, ninety to hundred percent, and Are so you... the the other thing is whether you think you need it or not, go see that doctor, go see that endocrinologist, stay in touch with them, stay on your meds, absolutely, and you know it's it's much easier to do now with the cost of insulin somewhat under control, mm -hmm. and with what's gone on uh, over the last year. 
we're going to definitely jump into that. But I want to ask you really quick, going back to your daily management, if you don't mind sharing, say you're wearing a mon monitor, are you wearing a, you say you're wearing a CGM? Is that a Dexcom, Abbott Freestyle Libre, Eversense? It's a Freestyle Libre. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Which is easily, more easily available for people with type 2, which is great. I'm glad that you've taken it seriously. I cannot tell you how many people I've slapped on a Libre just because they weren't keeping an eye on their numbers. I want to jump into a whole other section. And I want to tell you, I read your book from cover to cover and reread a chapter or two a second time. <laughs> and so I'm going to quote you a couple of times just because even though you're speaking about the oil and gas industry, I think a lot of what you're speaking about and your passion for things kind of mirrors what you're doing in the diabetes space. So one of the quotes that I have from you is, some well-informed risk-taking changed my world. I began to believe I could change the whole world if I could only incorporate the help of other like-minded people in this wonderful, exciting industry. And good on you for that. How has this mentality been incorporated into your diabetes advocacy? And you've spoken to that in bringing in the tribal community, President Boren. Is there anybody else that you reached out to to help with these advocacy efforts? Well, sure. There's, there's been a, a lot of people in different areas. You know, over in the energy advocacy area, there's just a ton of people. <laughs> uh, you know, all all of the different oil and gas association executives, boards, and all that. I guess the, the first time that I ever really found out, and just had no idea we could do it, but kind of organize and bring together everybody for one common goal was really when Venezuela was dumping oil here in America below their own cost of production in the hopes of putting out of business all the stripper producers. That's mm. the smallest producers. And the thought was that if they eliminate them, they could gain a lot of market share. Right. Basically, for they, they believe they had all the heavy bitumen oil that uh, anybody would ever need. And so they were dumping oil in here real cheaply. We organized a group. We called it Save Domestic Oil. But in order to do that, we brought a trade case against them, a litigation, mm -hmm. and we sued four countries that was actually involved in, in that uh, scheme, if you will, and organized all of the oil and gas industry in order to do that. Right. And and sure enough, everyone joined us practically. And all the producers in the US, because they saw what was happening. Right. Totally unfair. And we actually won the case just by filing it. So mm. as soon as we filed it, they realized that, whoa, we're we're gonna get, you know, a big tariff put on us. Right. And that's our 87% of Venezuela's livelihood came from crude oil. <laughs> so they were fixing to shoot themselves in the foot real big. And so they dropped it. They, they stopped the process and, and then was able to compete. But after then, it was uh, very doubtful it was going to make it. Uh, so uh, FUD came in. <laughs> FUD, FUD, people. I will put that in the yeah. show notes too, because it really made me think about the diabetes advocacy. I want to jump into chapter eight, where you lay out, and this was so eye-opening for me because I knew it, but I, I needed to read it. 
is you lay out a day in the life of an average individual from the time that they get out of bed until they go to bed, sharing what does and does not require hydrocarbons at some capacity. It made me think, and I'm sure you thought about this, with the diabetes space, we look at what it takes to produce insulin, what it takes to create the CGMs, to ship them internationally. I don't know that you can speak to this, but I have to bring that up to this community that fuel is what's <laughs> fueling, literally, our diabetes gear and testerets and everything that's associated with that. Would you agree with that? Is that a fair question? No, really, it's a fair assessment. When you look around you, everything that you touch and yeah. your clothes you wear and, and all the resources it takes to get from one place to the other, everything has to do with hydrocarbon. Yeah. And, you know, where you power a car or not, yeah. uh, with it or not, that car is made from all the plastics. Yeah. Uh, that come from hydrocarbon. So everything, and, and certainly with diabetes research, you know, all the stuff that you use in labs, you go in there and it's all made out of hydrocarbon. <laughs> so, well, and keeping yes. things cool enough, insulin, I mean, there's so many factors there when it comes to energy and, and diabetes space. In that same chapter, you mentioned taking 35 trips to D.C. in 15 months to pass new legislation. Please share a little about the steps you've made to address this topic and what's on the horizon. So I'm, I'm bringing this into you and we'll come up with, I'll have a better question here in a second about you went above and beyond to go to DC to make things happen. And you did, you made it happen, right? Yeah, it's, uh, you have to, and they'll listen to you, but you've got to get up there and you have to have somebody help you make the appointments and, and basically go with a uh, program, explain the program real quickly. It's got to be something can be done in five right. minutes and to show them the need, what you need, what needed, what necessary, what has to be done. And, uh, you know, you win friends and mm -hmm. uh, you also win support. And hopefully you can get a piece of legislation going that you everybody can get behind and get it passed and get it signed into law. Uh, so, you know, it takes, takes everybody. It takes the, the House and the Senate and mm -hmm. the executive branch So, in order to get it done. And one of the reasons why you're my guest today, besides the, my love of the Harold Ham Diabetes Center and what you're doing for research, which we'll tap into shortly, is you went above and beyond when it came to affordable insulin. So let's talk about some of your advocacy efforts there. And what was like, the, you don't even use insulin. So what was the red flag and what made you really step in to help people like myself? Well, that's, our foundation primarily is uh, made up of three things. And that's, mm -hmm. uh, the pillars are education, health, and energy advocacy. Mm -hmm. And so hopefully these issues that come up fall within those three main pillars and of interest mm -hmm. uh, to us. So, so that's it. So we uh, have a kind of a family council that decides yeah. that our foundation ought to be involved in these things. And this is, this is a good cause and, and we get behind it. And so our family council makes those decisions and we take it on and go with it. Well, an affordable insulin is such a big, it's been a hot topic for quite some time. 
And there are so many advocacy groups and you quote them, some of them in the book, in your book, which I've had the pleasure of interviewing some other leaders and good on you. But you are, I don't know how to word this, in the public eye in a different capacity and you're using your influence to help a totally different pocket of people, whether or not you think about it in that capacity, but you have gone above and beyond. Uh, We'll put in the show notes as well. Your interview with the Today Show, when you talk about why you were doing what you're doing. And I think, again, a lot of people, unless you're in the diabetes space, didn't know that you are the person that's really kind of behind the scenes that that are doing a lot of great things. One of the things I want to quote you again, you said, sometimes when you start a project, the path can change. And that's okay. As long as the result is affordable insulin for those who need it. You put that in your book. I mean, there's a book about oil and gas, and you said that. I'm like, yes, thank you for that. <laughs> well, you, yeah. <laughs> are you continuing uh, that path? Well, yeah, I, I, I am continuing that path. You know, it's a, it is an oil and gas book, but there's a lot of things in here outside of it. And there's a lot of things in life that govern what we do personally, individually, and, yeah. and uh, that guide us. So, you know, with oil and gas or just general business or, you know, things you care a whole lot about, you know. Well, I'm going to jump into the philanthropy portion of this, and then we'll go into the climate of diabetes care, because I wanted your opinion on a couple of things that are really on the forefront right now. So in the book, you share your own battle with type 2 diabetes, obviously, was a personal game changer. How so? You know, I've had a lot of personal game changers in my life, and Certainly diabetes was one of those. Just shows you where you're going wrong, what what you need to do to get back on course. And so, you know, you go through life and you have a whole lot of game changers. And I, I think back on my life and education was one of those. It, it was really hard fought for me because I mm-hmm. couldn't afford to go to college out of high school. Like a lot of people, it's 10 years before, you know, I go back could go to college mm-hmm. and really, really concentrate on what I want to focus on. So there's been a whole lot of different game changers along the way. You know, personal improvement, personal. you know, was a real game changer for me when I made basically just a real commitment decision that, you know, I was going to be the best I could be. Yeah. And, and started doing all the things I could do to do that. And, uh, you know, I still continue to do that. So there's a lot of, lot of different game changers that I recognize. And horizontal drilling was one of those. <laughs> and that's what I really wrote the book about. <laughs> well, and let me say this to the listeners, too. The book is called Game Changer. And so yes. you preface, you've mentioned that a number of times in the book about different stages of your life and why that was a game changer. And that's why I bring that up. And what I love the most about this, and one of the chapters, I think is chapter maybe 19, you talk about how this event being diagnosed with type 2 changed your philanthropic goals. Can you speak to that? Yeah. It Suddenly, uh, you realize that, you know, we could give to everything. Mm -hmm. Or you could really focus in on a few things and make a huge difference. And particularly if you had maybe the right ideas about how that could be done. And so, you know, I I thought within a diabetes field that 
it would be possible if focused in, focused a lot of wealth that direction mm-hmm. and resources to really make a difference. So, you know, it's like the international prize and diabetes. You know, given that, that that's a lot of money to to young researcher. Yes. Uh, you know, that it made a difference, a, a real game changer, that it could be uh, worthwhile for him to make some bold moves mm-hmm. to change the game. And so, anyway, we've seen some great things uh, come out of that so far. I want to touch on, and again, going back to your philanthropy, in 2010, you joined Bill Gates, Warren Buffett, and 40 others in the inaugural group of the Giving Pledge. And that's kind of where this all shifts to, and one of the reasons why things and the questions coming up will address that. Please explain to the listeners what this means and why you decided to join these efforts. Well, there's uh, so many things in life and in our society and everybody's realm that I think certain that people could change. Yeah. And we, we've seen that, you know, just Bill Gates uh, is a good example of that they decided to stamp out polio in the world. Yeah. And have practically done it. And, you know, when I grew up, that was a very prevalent uh, disease. Right. And it's a wonder I didn't have that. Uh, everybody my age, a lot of people my age did. Right. And uh, so anyway, it was a real, real bad thing. And so I think that that's fantastic. But when, when they first came up with that, you know, you think about your wealth and what you want to do, do with it. Mm-hmm. And so these, these fellows had a pretty good plan, I thought, you know, that we're going to do some really big things to change the world. And with what we have, and yeah. instead of waiting until after we die or whatever, we can, right. we can do a lot while we lived with our givings. And so, anyway, I thought it was a good plan. And, and boy, that organization, from where it started, I think it was 16 of us initially. And now, I don't know it, how big it is, but there's hundreds. Oh, uh, I love uh, to hear that. Yeah, that several is, hundred wonderful. people that's involved in it. And the pledge is that you'll give at least half your wealth away during your lifetime. Well, and you've dedicated a lot of it, obviously, to the diabetes space. And so I want to jump into the Harold Hamm Diabetes Center was originally going to be a private donation, in my understanding. But you were encouraged to put your name on it by respectable leaders. Why did you decide to partner with the University of Oklahoma on the naming rights? You know, I, I really didn't want, didn't want my name on it. Yeah. I, I didn't. But David Bourne would not take no for an answer. <laughs> uh, he said, Look, he said, that encourages others to step up. Absolutely. And that's really, and he, he said, yeah, it, it encourages every, others to step up and do the same thing you did. And, you know, we see the Stevenson Cancer Center that's yeah. come in out there since then. And Great really, start. really appreciate uh, what that couple has done. It, Tremendous for Oklahoma City. There's no doubt. And and for Oklahoma. Well, and I want to talk about, and this is in public knowledge, but if you're not from Oklahoma, you wouldn't know this. What was the amount of the initial gift to get the center started? I think at that time it was about $20 million, something close to that. And then there was, you know, we bought uh, the building out there. That came available. 
and that's a wonderful place. It is a wonderful place. Uh, it is. It, you know, it's a great thing. And anyway, I, I think now we're about to some $65 million under or something like that. And I want to say to the listeners, too, that you guys have received, your team, not you guys, have received $100 million in grants in, oh, in addition it, to that. Oh, there's there's been, yeah, more than $100 million in grants. So it's that, you know, the seed money that's put up and mm. what's what transpired has been Nothing short of miraculous, uh, tremendous. Yeah. So, and uh, there's there's a lot of grants coming in yet for what we're doing. So it takes all that. It does take all that. And I want to okay go back to something you mentioned earlier. And I'm going to just say a few things. Not only is the Harold Ham Diabetes Center doing great things in this scientific research space and patient care, but you went above and beyond by creating the Harold Ham International Biomedical. Research and Diabetes Award granting $250,000 to a deserving researcher each year. And that's really when I got to know what you were doing, because I've had the pleasure of interviewing some of the recipients of that award. And can you talk about, I don't know that you can, how do you all decide who gets okay. that? There's a pain. <laughs> I know there's a group, but. Yeah, well, it's, uh, it's easy. You know, you have to get the top professionals from that field. So we do that, and it and it varies each year. It's right. uh, uh, each time we pick a jury, it's different people, right? And anywhere from four to six people that selected, and it's basically jury pool that come together and pick the very best applicant and the very best researcher, the very best project program that's ongoing, and that's who they they make the award to. Right. And then we celebrated at the gala and give them all the credit we can. And it's tremendous on top of the award. So it's uh it's very good, but it's done by an independent jury pool. So I don't I don't pick them. I'm not that good. <laughs> and Dr. Friedman, he he doesn't pick them. Right. Uh but he, he kind of manages the jury pool. But once that's together they pick that person that recipient. And it's my understanding that is unrestricted funding. It's like a gift to the researcher for all of their dedication to diabetes research. Is that correct? Yeah, it's a gift to them. Yeah. It's a big deal. It is a big deal. It's the biggest in the world is, is my understanding, which is, is a wonderful. And other people listening, you need to figure out how to do the same. I want to shift into some of the things that are in the recent diabetes climate is with your awareness and activism. Do you have any comments on Blue Cross and Blue Shield of California dropping CVS as their PBM and picking up Cubans? Cubans, I, I should know that, new company in the Amazon pharmacy. You know, I, I don't have an opinion. I know that different people go different ways with things, and I'm just not real familiar with what's happening in California. Yeah. With uh, Blue Cross, Blue Shield, CVS. Yeah. but. I know that Blue Cross Blue Shield has been fairly picky economically. Uh, I say picky, maybe for good reason. Getting involved with the economics, that makes sense to them. So apparently they did here, but I really don't know enough to comment hardly on it. Well, I appreciate your honesty on that. But in the book you did mention, which I loved, that you reached out to Mark Cuban. Is it Cuban? Yes, Mark Cuban, yes. Yeah, about his 
desire to start a low-cost pharmaceutical company. So what was obviously the personal reason was because your advocacy efforts for affordable insulin. So did you just give this guy a call? Did you show up in Dallas? How did that go down? Uh, no, we met several times. And one of the times at least was in Dallas. We've met several times, you know, that's a business that they're pursuing, but that was something that we could partner up and do yeah. if necessary. Anyway, I think Mark and his team are continuing down that pathway. The primary thing for me that I wanted to see come out of it was that these pharmaceuticals that had the patent uh, that basically was giving them monopolistic powers yeah. on pricing, that that thing go away yeah. or that they change their practices. Yeah. And anyway, by bringing this to the awareness of the public and also to Congress, that basically their practices changed and that did go away. Mm. Uh, so anyway, it was a, it was a big win. <laughs> well, and uh, I, that, that was incredible. And one of my next questions is, do you find it ironic that insulin prices are finally lowered and obesity options soar and are hard to obtain? Well, I think it's great. <laughs> it's what I think. It took a long time. It, it wasn't easy and, uh, you know, went on uh, on TV with NBC, Newsman, Harry yeah. Smith. And anyway, we, we had some real live, participants that, you know, basically was, they were having a ration of insulin. Yeah. When you're only getting half what you need, parts of your body's dying. Yeah. And it's basically how, how I look at it. Other people may look at it a little different, but you need so much insulin to, to live properly. And uh, so some people couldn't afford it. It was having to ration their insulin. You think about that. How horrible that is. And, you know, those vials, 250, 300, and you need four of them a month if you're type one. Some people couldn't do that. There's a a show, I don't know, a, a recent show, and I, I think it's called Purple something. Uh, I'll, I'll think about it here in a minute. But it goes to a person. What it was about was a, a young person that, couldn't afford her, her insulin. Oh, I know what you're and, talking about. Yes. Yeah. And married a soldier. Yes. Just to get insulin. To, to get the insulin. Yeah. Yeah. That uh, was, it's not Purple Hearts. It's, um, I'll it put is it in the purple show. Purple Heart. Okay. It's Purple Heart. I'll put it it's in the it's show purple notes. Heart. And I think yes. what I say to you, sir, is that one of the films that came out this year was called Pay or Die. And I interviewed the filmmakers, producers of that show in particular, and it was all about the price of insulin and how they their advocacy efforts went above and beyond to get Eli Lilly to lower the cost. And then we saw the ripple effect. And, you know, I know you've worked with T1 International. You've worked with some really grassroots efforts. Do you feel like, and you're talking about eradicating diabetes in our lifetime, granted, you're a little older than I am. <laughs> <laughs> Do you still feel confident that we're going to see some change there? You know, I, we've seen some really big change so far. And, you know, it's it's like polio. Yeah. Who, who would have thought uh, that Dr. Salk could have uh, made a vaccine that would basically stop that ter terrible yeah. thing? 
But, you know, things have been done that, that are big and that are impactful like that. And who knows until you try, you know? Yeah. So we just got to, yeah, everybody come together. Yeah, it's like coming together to get the cost of insulin down. A lot of people came together to do that and was able to make that happen. So I don't know. We we have some dedicated research people, and there's a lot of de- dedicated research people all around the world. Yeah. And some of the ones I know tell me that we'll, we'll get this done. I've never been more confident as somebody who's lived with type 1 diabetes for 40 years, and the promise of a cure is five years down the pipeline. I never gave up hope. And I think that, and let me ask you this, and I don't know that you can speak to this as a type person with type two, but what does a cure look like? Because now we have automated insulin pumps, so it takes the pressure off of us, if you can afford it. Yeah, what is a cure? You know, we're making all this progress, you know, Mm -hmm. with the pumps. Who would have thought it? Used to, I say used to, a lot of years back when you know, you got diagnosis of uh, type one. That basically a death sentence. Yes, it is. And that uh, was really what it amounted to. But today, it's not as not so much. Right. You know, with the proper care and proper attention, you live just as long as anybody else. So anyway, it's a it's something you go through. But anyway, take care of it, and you you'll be all right. So it changes all those little things, you know, make a big difference. But whether or not that we can find genetically, the answer genetically, or with the manipulation of cells, whatever it is, there's a good chance. My thought is that we apply everything, all the technology that we have today in this field, such as We've applied the same thing in what we do in in our business. Mm-hmm. We'll be able to find a cure for diabetes. Yeah. Who would have thought that we could be energy independent America? Yeah. Uh, yet with the technology that we develop with horizontal drilling, here we are. You know, we have the energy renaissance we created. Yeah. So I think uh, things, who, who knows what's possible. We have here at Continental, we, we call it the culture of the possible. I love that. Uh, yeah. You know, if something is a real hard problem, it's just going to take a little bit longer. But we're not, we don't ever give up. Oh, I've written that down like 42 times in my notes whenever I was reading your book because I was like, yes, yes to that because it is, that's what we need for the diabetes advocacy world. And, you know, I'll ask your team what notes we can put in this because we want to join your efforts, obviously, and and making a change. And like I said in the beginning, you're putting your money where your mouth is. And that speaks volumes to the diabetes community and how we want to support you. And I will say on a personal note from the Harold Ham Diabetes Center, you guys do a lot of go above and beyond with just patient care. There's education. There is cooking classes. You're not discriminatory in any group. And I've witnessed that myself and have sent people there because people are looking for answers and your team are welcoming those people with open arms. So thank you and everything that you're doing for the diabetes space. Well, it's good to be with you and it's good to talk about it. And we just need to continue to get the word out, uh, make sure your numbers are good and do all the right things with it. And 
you'd be much better off. So thank you. Good to be with you, Amber. Thank you. As I wrap up, I want to remind you that I'm here for my diabetes and the medical community. So feel free to contact me at diabetesdailygrind.com. Your continued support and love help keep the episodes coming. Cheers to the highs and lows, everyone. Yes, I'm